Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It definitely is not as easy as maybe a lot of people think. Well, you just stand there and you get your picture taken. No, and there's so much like more involved that, in it. There's just... This is On the Fence with Monica Oxsamet. Welcome back to another episode of On the Fence. Today we have once again another special guest. Colin Egglesfield is an American actor known for his role as Josh Madden on All My Children, Augie Kirkpatrick on Melrose <laughs> Place, and Evan Parks, the hot lawn mowing uncle on The Client List. You got that right. That's what I thought. Yeah. Also worth mentioning though, I knew you from something borrowed rather than anything that was oh, right. told me. Yes, of course. That's <laughs> why you came up to me and my mom at In-N-Out Burger in Los Angeles and basically, you know, accosted me on a regular, normal, lovely afternoon with my mom eating cheeseburgers. And you just came up and kept pestering, asking for my autograph. I was like, okay, fine. I'll give this beautiful woman a, maybe a, a picture. And I was, as I noticed, you had an Olympic ring on your sweatshirt. And I was like, what is that? You said you were an Olympic athlete. And then I was like, wow, more than just a pretty face. Actually, someone who has done something pretty damn remarkable. So thanks for having me, Monica. Yeah. You know how before we started recording, I said, you're going to hijack my podcast. I literally had all of that written out that we're going to talk about how we met and you oh, just okay. did all of that. <laughs> well, why don't you do it and then people can decide who did it better. Sounds good. Because you are so competitive. You always like to see who does it better. Sounds about right. Well, before we start- As you couldn't tell, part, we are really good friends. He tells himself we're friends. Um, well, just before you to teach me how to fence. Anyways, before we talk about how we met, I wanted to mention that this episode actually comes out on your birthday. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? What a special day. Funny? A special day. So- Everybody listening, please go wish Colin a happy birthday. Harass him on his Instagram the way that I always do. Yes, you do that very well. <laughs> it's my job. All right. So now my version of how we met was I was actually out in Los Angeles to do an episode for Shark Tank with my friends. Well, I was helping them pitch, which is a bummer that episode didn't ever air because Mark and Robert were actually fencing on the episode with our stuff. Mm. I don't know why. But anyways, I convinced the my friends to go over to In-N-Out, the one by the airport. But anyways, we already had ordered and then we there was a huge line and then I looked over and I saw some guy standing there where I was like there's he's definitely I've definitely seen him before and I couldn't figure out where and I was asking my two friends which they're men coffee commercial that I did when I first started that's how you remember me definitely yes exactly but I asked my two guy friends of if they recognize you I was like look at him like he's from somewhere they're like yeah he looks famous and I was like okay but from where they're like oh we don't know my useless and then I don't know who I am no because rom-com right and then it clicked so then I quickly googled just to make sure and then we were like staring at the photo looking at you trying to make sure so I didn't look stupid after that I basically don't remember anything I just remember saying hey Colin and then all I know is we took a photo your mom was there she took the photo mm-hmm. and then I gave her my email address for whatever reason you gave my my mom your email address yeah because I think we were talking about the photo and she was going to email oh, me a photo oh, or right. something okay that's really all that I remember okay I blacked it all out <laughs> yeah and then when I finished doing CPR on you on the floor and you came to then you're like, oh, wow, what happened? And I said, well, you just blacked out as soon as, you know, I, we took the picture and you're welcome that you're still alive. So thanks to me, Monica Axemet has the opportunity to go off and win another Olympic medal as soon as this darn pandemic is, is finished. You're such a great storyteller. So are you. <laughs> 
I tell the truth. You don't. Oh my what? lord. No, I thought that's how I remember it. Yeah, and then you slid into my DMs. Well, I just thought I was curious about fencing and wanted to learn more about it. So I was like, oh, who do I know that is a fencer? Oh yeah, remember that that girl that I met at In and Out Burger? You know. So I was like, yeah, what's up? You're crazy. So I do you tell that. people like what like how to fence and the rules and all that? Because I still don't really understand all the rules. I have not done really an episode on that because my one about fencing is the least listened to episode. So it sounds like people don't really care that much about it. Okay. Well, could you just just give us a, a small little like encapsulation of how you got started and what is it that you love about fencing? I love that you don't. I love that people. you don't listen to my podcast because I did. I that do, episode. but some <laughs> of the people maybe who follow me have never heard your story, so mm. I'm just giving them an opportunity to you know hear your story because it's pretty amazing. And I honestly, I am I am incredibly uh, proud of you and impressed with what you do because the more that I have gotten to know you, the more I listen to your podcast, the more I realize how difficult what you do really is and how little attention Olympic athletes really get and how little support you guys get doing what you do. And what you do is you're pursuing your dream of what you love to do. And you've got to do like 40 different jobs to support yourself in order to do it, which I think is incredibly impressive. Thank you. I appreciate it for once again, hijacking the podcast. What would you, would you say that uh, winning an Olympic medal was probably like the best thing that's ever happened in your life? No, obviously meeting you is the best thing that's happened in my well, life. Well, th that goes without saying. The second best thing. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say that. No, it's definitely, it's, the, I mean, my biggest accomplishment, it was my dream to qualify for the Olympics and having a medal on top of that is, I mean, it's not something I ever imagined happening. So it's definitely the best thing that's ever happened. I mean, but that's just insane. Like you are on the world stage with like billions of people watching you and you are representing the United States, you know, and competing at the highest level. I mean, that is like very few people who have this opportunity to do that like do you ever just stop and look and just be like you know what damn i'm i'm an olympic athlete this is like this is pretty damn cool and i know i never stopped the bronze that, medal. like <laughs> yeah and i think you are very hard on yourself i think you have very high standards for yourself which i think is is great but i think i because i always wanted to be a, a professional athlete growing up and i just know how difficult it is and how much dedication and you know people don't see how many hours you put into the gym and in the just the 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 toil and the sweat and the tears and the blood and the they just see you show up on you know the for those few hours on tv but leading up to that i mean i see you you've got bruises and stuff and you tell me stories about like you know injuries and it's uh it's no joke it is no joke yeah and but nobody yeah. nobody cares about all that they just care about watching you win or you or lose care. and that's it they care they care about your story oh uh, kind of but not i mean the yeah. average okay the average person doesn't care about the story i would say people are more invested in watching you compete when they know your story. And that's why I love when like NBC, they do the backstories and they kind of show who the athletes are. And even like on American Idol, when they go show where the kids are from and they show their parents and the, and then when they go up on stage, you're more invested. So you're like, oh God, I hope they, I hope they succeed. I think that's you. I don't think that's I, me too, but I don't think that's the average person from my experience. Like you think somebody watching football really cares where the football players came from? Yes. Okay, that's you. <laughs> no, a lot of people do. Interesting. Okay. Again, Monica and I love to disagree. <laughs> 
two aqua- Aquarians need to always be right. Yes. So that is literally a recipe for arguments all the time. They're not arguments, they're debate. Yes, I agree. Yeah, so oh, we agree. Look at that. Now I don't want to agree. <laughs> Speaking of which, you actually were the person that made me start kind of believing in zodiac signs, which I still refuse to from like that one conversation we had. Of course, because you're an Aquarian and you're stubborn. Yeah, so are you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's get on to the topic of this episode because I think it's a big one. And being on Clubhouse, I know I don't think you've really been on it too much. I've talked a lot about failure and I was in a lot of rooms about talking about failure of what we think is success and what we think is failure. And a lot of people say that failure is something that they're terrified of and it keeps them from going after their dreams. Obviously, from my perspective, being an athlete, I mean, we have many competitions and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a single athlete out there that doesn't have one loss under their belt. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I despise losing. You know that. But I know that it's while there is the same chance of winning as there is losing. So if I don't put myself in that situation, I don't have a chance for either one of those. In regards to you, I don't remember if it was in your book or your AOL build conversation that you were at, but you were talking about the percentages for castings and landing roles as an actor. What were those numbers? So I've done the calculations over my 20 year acting career. I've gone on about 2000 auditions. Book, you go on my IMDB page, about 44. So that's about a 2% success rate. So you could look at that as I fail 98% of the time. And I would say that percentage is pretty normal for any actor out there. Now there's there's the top 1% of actors who just get roles offered to them. But uh, if you're really looking to get into uh, uh, entertainment and acting, just know that auditioning is obviously the gatekeeping part of us getting that job. And it's it's very competitive. You could be as prepared as possible and just for whatever random reason, wake up on the wrong side of the bed that morning and show up in the audition and just have a bad audition. Or you could have a great audition, but with booking a TV show, you have to go through a series of like five, six or seven auditions to where you finally get the role. Cause you walk in, you do your first audition with the casting director. If they like you, then they say, okay, you know what, of the 400 guys that we just had come in over the past few days, we're going to invite these 15 actors to come back and read for the producers. And then we do that. And then they narrow it down to like maybe eight guys to come to read for the director. And then at that point, they narrow it down to like five guys to then come and read for the studio. So like if, uh, like with friends, Warner Brothers was the studio that was producing the show and NBC was the network. So you have to go and audition for the studio executives at Warner Brothers. And it's literally like doing family room theater. You walk into the VP of casting's office and there's these chairs and his couch set up and there's his desk and there's like 15 people sitting in the room and you have to walk in and basically do your scene in front of all these people sitting on these couches and these chairs. So you walk in one by one. And when I first started doing this, I mean, the pressure and the anxiety and the stress was just like, oh, I'm sure. holy crap. This is just like, I mean, because you go into these auditions that if you book the role, you're the next potentially five, six, seven years of your life could be dedicated to this one TV show, making very good money. And when you're in Los Angeles, you drive around, you see all the Hollywood homes up in the hills where all the rich people live. Yep, yep. And, that's and you what see you <laughs> and Ferraris all over the place. And then you go to In-N-Out Burger and you see celebrities and you're like, you know, you, there's just just this like this constant like haves and have nots that is just so in your face. And yeah, at, that a, makes sense. at a certain point, I couldn't drive down Sunset Boulevard anymore because of all the billboards with all the TV shows. I'd be like, oh, yep, audition for that one. I, oh, yep, I auditioned for that That's one. Crazy. Didn't get that one. Oh, oh, that actor got that one. Damn it, I suck. You know, like, so all these wow. like head game, mind game kind of stuff started coming into play. So that's when I was like, if I am really truly going to be successful in this business, I've got to get my mind straight because I was psyching myself out 
And I found myself almost sabotaging myself because I think we sometimes have those thoughts of like, well, why would they pick me? I mean, if, if that guy from Party of Five and that guy from Supernatural and that guy from, you know, the movie that just came out that was a hundred million dollar blockbuster are in the audition room when I walk in, because you have to walk in and sign your name and you look around and see all the guys that you're auditioning against, I would be like, oh, well, if he's here, why would they pick me? So right. these are the mindset things. And what I realized is like booking a role is kind of like falling in love. It's like you could have the, the most beautiful person with the best resume. And so you show up on the date and there's just for whatever reason, you don't have that chemistry. And then you could just have like just randomly be at the grocery store and turn and talk to someone and boom, it's like chemistry is off the chart. So that's where like when you have a show like Friends where you catch lightning in a bottle with those particular six actors. I mean, when when it when you hit the right chemistry, the right combination of actors, it's amazing. And unfortunately, it just it happens fewer times than it actually does happen. And that's why it's so frustrating. It's like with sports, like you never know how the outcome is going to go. You could prepare and train as well as you possibly can. Yep. But when you show up on that day, you know, that's why that's why we compete, right? Because that's part of the, the excitement and the adrenaline rush of just showing up and doing your best. And the key is to just not be attached to the outcome, which is so difficult because yep. we want it so bad. But I think the uh, what I've learned is to focus on the actual proce process of it all instead of the actual outcome. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Wow. I didn't even think of all the factors of like driving down sunset and seeing all those billboards. That's got to be a lot. But it also, from what I remember you telling me, you also had chemistry readings. Yep. Yeah. So like with the client list with Jennifer Love Hewitt, I had to go in and read with her for the audition. And this was funny because with auditioning, you know, there's do's and don'ts. There's like in scenes where you've got to like punch someone or physically grab someone, you got to just kind of mimic that because the casting director is like 10 feet away from you behind mm -hmm. the camera. So you've got to kind of mimic and mime stuff. And in the scene that I was doing with Jennifer Love Hewitt, I had to kiss her. And I mean, you just kind of like, what do you do? You kind of like fake. I mean, it's just weird. It's awkward. So yeah, I'm sure. I can't even imagine how that is. <laughs> like, it's like an air kiss and you're just kind of standing out there in front of like 15 people, producers and directors. And I, I could tell like when it came time to the kiss, I was just like kind of... <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of like, you know, and it, I, I think it just, they were like, yeah, um, Colin, uh, I don't know. Can you just like maybe do that scene again, but uh, just maybe have some more passion or whatever. <laughs> I was like, well, how do you have more passion when you're trying to air? Like, what do you mean? Like want me to tongue? I don't know. Like what? I don't know what. So these are all the weird things that you just don't think about when you see actors up on, you know, up on screen. And so when it came time for the kiss, it was in this moment where I was like, okay, either, either I have to do something drastic here or I just know I'm not going to get this role because you got to find out something that will make you stand out from everyone else. And so when it came time, the scene was we were arguing and she plays my sister-in-law. She's married to my brother who took off. He was a drug addict. And so now she and I are starting to like fall in love because I'm helping her with the kids and whatnot. Mowing her lawn. Mowing your lawn with my Shirtless. shirt off, of course. So as we're having this argument, I start finding myself just naturally compelled to walk closer to her. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm the one who takes care of the kids and I've always been here. He never cared. And I'm the one that's was like, I've always been in love with you. And, da, da, da. and like, as I was saying this, I started like feeling myself naturally getting closer. And she like, we were really getting into it to the point where the scene where like the part where the kiss came up and I just, she was right there. And I just, 
I leaned in and I grabbed her and I really kissed her. And then I was like, so funny. I like pulled back and I was like, oh shit. I was like, either I'm going to get arrested for sexual assault or I booked the the job. Unfortunately, it was the latter because Jennifer was like, she was stunned. And then, then she kind of looked at me like, you're crazy. But that was actually like, that was, you know, what the scene was supposed to be. And then I looked over at the producers and the directors and they seemed, they were pretty satisfied. So I left. And when I got the call from my manager, I was like, okay, either the police are going to be waiting for me at my apartment or I got the job. And fortunately (laughs) I got the job. So sometimes you got to take these calculated risks. Do you ever feel like that? Where when you're competing, you're like, I could play it safe, but if I am really going to make up some points, I got to be more aggressive than I would normally be. Nine times out of 10, when there are these matches, depends on who you're against, but playing it safe nine times out of 10 isn't the way to go. Unless you're like significantly stronger than the person, but you score. I mean, it's also like psychological warfare, I guess I would kind of explain it as because the quicker I can shut you down and make you less confident and second guess yourself, the quicker I'm going to win, right? Because then for you to be able to reset, it's not like an instantaneous thing for most people. You have to understand you're not in it. You have to understand what I'm doing and then you have to reset. And in that time frame, I can get anywhere from like three to 10 touches. So when you start, you start behind a line, right? And then you, I see you guys jumping forward at each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like literally a few seconds when they say go and then it's like are you aiming do you know where you're gonna stab or is it kind of you just react to where they're what they're doing or do you, do you ever like move out of the way and then try to jam them <laughs> like what do you do tell me teach me this i'm ready the craziest episode ever it depends again there's so many different variables on each different opponent there's some people that are like for example looking at practice yesterday there's a girl that is in the center she's either waiting and, and reacting to you or she's setting up actions and i would say like 60 70 percent of the time she's reacting to what you're doing so you have to set things up against her so you have to create so being playing safe is difficult because she's the one trying to watch the entire time so she's she's second intention so if you are setting up an action like it's kind of more or less fake so you kind of have to show her you're doing one thing but do the opposite because she's going to fall for the fake first thing if that makes sense and that all happens in like fractions of a millisecond because you guys let each other so quick it's hard to even see what you guys are really doing when you do it. I mean, people with with good eyes can see it. Well, where's my glasses? No, it's it's once you know what to look for, it's a lot easier until you know what you're looking for because you're looking at like a whole bunch of different things. Same thing like when you're actually starting to fence, like if I taught you the basics of it and you start going, if like thinking about it slowly, you'd be able to do it. But as soon as we start fencing, you would forget everything. And that's like the funny reaction because you're like, whoa, you're coming at me with a sword and you forgot everything that I taught you. Yeah. So that's where the practice comes in, right? Yeah. Same with acting because some people naturally have the ability to show up and to act. And people ask like, well, why do you go to acting class? And it's because in those very situations, when the pressure is on, you, your, our bodies react to pressure and to perceive danger in different ways. That fight or flight response kicks in and it can make your muscles tense. And it can like, when I first started auditioning, my chest would start to tighten up and it was hard to breathe. It felt like I was like suffocating. And so with the acting class, our acting teachers would teach us these relaxation techniques where for the first 10 minutes of acting class, we would lay down on the ground and we would do these visualization relaxation techniques 
techniques and she would burn incense to induce the sense of relaxation so that before I would go into my auditions, I would burn that same incense to like induce a state of relaxation. So I was starting to entrain my body to get into that relaxed state instead of that tense clamped up right. state. After a while, I started to notice that even though the nerves would come up and the negative voice of, you know, you're never going to get this role. It's the practice of doing it over and over again and literally focusing on the character and the role and basically and essentially focusing on what your goal is or your task at hand. And is if you have a strong enough intention as an actor with this character and what you want to accomplish in the scene, if you're that focused and dialed in, it doesn't matter who's watching, what time of day it is, or what is going on. When you are singularly focused at accomplishing whatever it is that you are, you know, whatever you've set out to do, that's where I've discovered I'm the most successful because then the negative thoughts of being self-conscious or being aware of how I'm performing, it's not there. Interesting. Yeah, so there's so many similarities between sport and acting, which I would have never thought about because those seem like two completely different things. But same thing, when I compete my best, it's I don't give a shit about what's going on around me. I could literally care less. I don't even care what the other person is doing in the sense of like the competition I won. Basically this time last year, I there was no beating me. Like it didn't even matter. Like the other person scored a point. I was like, cool, good for you. Next. And I would like, it. like I said, it just didn't matter. I was 100% confident in everything I was doing. There was no second guessing myself. There was just no questions. And I mean, I, I had like one of the hardest paths and I destroyed almost everybody along the way. So would you call that being in the zone? Yeah, absolutely. So here's the the magic question. How do you get there? Well, see, if I answer that, a lot of people will know how to get there. Ah. I'll answer this question post-Olympics. Strategies are you? No. I, I have my techniques in how to get there, but the way I look at it is it's like falling asleep. You can't force yourself into the zone. You can only create the environment for you to be able to drop into the zone so that then you're inviting. It's almost as if like you get out of your own way to allow whatever is that magical universal energy to flow through you. And that's when I've been like, you know, what, like you just said, I can do no wrong because I'm, I'm connected. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's like I put myself in, a, in this bubble, kind of how I would explain it. Same thing like our Olympic qualifying tournament. I was the last person to find out. Everybody else found out before me because I was just in such a way that like you would say things to me and I'd be like, yeah, cool. But they would like bounce off and nothing, nothing with re- register because that's where I needed to be. I needed to focus on what I needed to do and I couldn't let the outside factors because had I known that like I need to win this match in order to qualify, I, I don't think I would have ever won. For me, it was just like, I have to win this competition to qualify that's kind of where my mentality was and there was like to a point people were congratulating me had I, I already had qualified but I had more matches ahead of me and they're like congratulations I was like what do these people want from me like I just made a top 16 that's fine I've been here before but they're telling me that I already qualified for the Olympics like I said I was even my mom my sister knew back home that I qualified and I still didn't know and how did you feel when you found out it kept hitting me like it was I found out and I still didn't like, believe oh my god it. You started, like is this real were you pinching yourself and be like oh my god this is crazy this is amazing. No, no, it was more like I kept questioning it. So like I found out like while I was taking a photo for US fencing and our doctor who's like one of my good friends, he told me and he's like, why don't you smile more? Say Rio. And I was like, what? <laughs> why? Why would I say Rio? And he's like, are you stupid? Like you qualify for the Olympics. <laughs> like what are you talking about? And then I like kept walking around the room and people would be hugging me, congratulating me from people from different countries. And I was like, this is so weird. Yeah. Did I really qualify? And I called my mom like crying and she's and I'm like, so I, my parents like qualify for the Olympics. She's like, yes, 
yes, Monica, we know it's 3 a.m. and we know. And I was like, how do you know? I just found out. They're like, it's all over the internet. And I was like, is it? Are you sure? And then yeah. I remember being on the bus with the Polish team and they're like, oh, so we heard you qualified. And I was like, yeah, that's what everyone's telling me. But like, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know. And then it hit me when I got into the hotel and my phone, and I got Wi-Fi and my phone just blew up with messages from like on Facebook, Instagram, text message, everything. And I called my best friend and we sat, I sat on the lobby floor crying hysterically and she sat on her bedroom floor crying hysterically. So that was kind of me. That's when it like hit me, but it's still, it just seemed like this like other world the entire time. Yeah. I mean, it still does to this day. Like I still don't, there's days where I'm like, did this all really happen? Were you able to enjoy being there and enjoy just the experience or were you more focused on I got to win. I'm here to do my job and I'm not going to pay attention to. Before we competed, I really was like, I mean, I did still enjoy, but I didn't really go out to other competitions really as much. I really did try to stay focused because obviously I came there to win. I mean, again, I hate losing. So that, that idea is I'm allergic to it. But once I, once we competed, we were still there. We stayed, we competed, I think on the 13th. I don't know if I'll ever forget those days. Individuals, the ninth team event was the 13th. And then we left the 21st. So closing ceremonies was the 20th. So we, I still had a whole week to go to different events and see Rio and all that stuff. But I pretty much kept it limited in the beginning. And do you ever work with a sports psychologist? Do they get, do they get, they make that available to you athletes? They do, but I actually found another one through a friend, Dr. Doug Gardner. He is uh, my Lord and savior. Cause I would have never qualified had it not been for him. Okay. So do you care to share or is, are these your secret proprietary? I mean, I don't know what your question is. Technique? I can also, I can always answer your questions and then just edit them out. Okay. So do tell. Like what exercises would he have you do to stay focused and eliminate the noise that might get in the way? It wasn't really exercises so much as like he would ask me questions or just like tell me things to focus on. I don't really remember like all of the details, but I mean, with for us in our sport, it's a lot of the referee deciding on what's happening. And like even like yesterday at practice, we were laughing. There was a point and nobody agreed on it. The same point happened and three people saw something completely different. This is why it's so stupid because it just is all based on what you're seeing. And that's sucks but so he's like you know and there's also a lot of cheating as well there's i mean there's matches a referee will just make again the referee can make a decision i mean they're paid off yeah has that been proven i've watched envelopes being exchanged holy crap yeah that's insane it's and it still happens it still happens yeah. But as an Olympic athlete, I think this changed a few years ago where only amateurs, I mean, well, it did with a dream team basketball players playing in the Olympics. But up until what, what was that like 1996? Up until that point, wasn't it? You only could be an amateur. You couldn't be a professional athlete and compete in the Olympics. But now that's changed, right? I mean, obviously there's a whole bunch of people that have sponsorships and I'm and the NBA was professional yeah. athletes can Serena compete in the Olympics. Yep. Yep. Okay. And with fencing, do you get less money than the basketball players from the Olympic Federation or do all Olympic athletes get the same $300? I'm not really sure to be completely honest. I know medal winning, it's apparently it was raised. Somebody said somewhere, but I haven't looked into this, but it was in Rio. It was 25,000 for a gold medal, 15,000 for silver, 10,000 for bronze. It used to be taxed, but Obama signed a a bill or whatever to get rid of that tax. So now it's not taxable. So when you won a bronze medal, you would have had to pay like $2,000. Mm-hmm. You just won an Olympic medal. Oh, and by the way, you owe $5,000. Like that is the dumbest 
Thank you, Obama. And, the, and, and that's what you get for four. I mean, it's training is more than four years, but you dedicate four years and that's that's all you get is 10,000. Do you know how much it costs me a year to compete? 14,000. It's not, I mean, it's still a lot of money, but. It's, yeah, but my, I'm getting repaid with 10,000. That doesn't cover a single year. That's crazy. Yeah, but I mean, you're a supermodel. So you probably get millions of dollars from like. Yeah supermodel definitely i'm all over billboards but you are a model too i am a model yeah and what would you say is more difficult being a fencer or a model they're both very different i mean it's even if you're like a pretty face it's not like you're going to be a model because you have to know how to pose you have to know the lighting you also have to the camera has to love you which i used to never understand but like you'll also see people that are unattractive and you look at them on like their modeling websites and you're like how is this person a model and you see their photos you're like oh that's why and it's also exhausting i used to never i would have never guessed that but if i do a photo shoot during the day and then i have to go to practice oh my god i feel white it's yeah. crazy that like again you look at it even while i'm doing it i'm like oh i won't be tired but having to think about your poses the lighting your face the clothes everything is so taxing yeah you're all you also were a model i was also going to get to that i mean i was known to have uh, grace a cover or two on a couple of it definitely did not go to your head at all no not at all <laughs> Why don't you tell us about your modeling career? Modeling was, I mean, it was, it was fun. I mean, I, I got to travel the world and 23 years old when I started doing it and it was right after I got out of college and it was just, a, I just kind of thought it was an opportunity to travel the world and see what was out there. I grew up in a small little town outside of Chicago, cornfields and cows and all that. And my mom is from Ireland. So we would go to Ireland occasionally. So I, you know, I, I'd been out of the country, but uh, I just had never really been anywhere else. And man, it was the best experience to just go to these different countries and experience different cultures. It was just a really cool experience of, um, you know, being able to meet Giorgio Armani himself and Gianni Versace. And it definitely is not as easy as maybe a lot of people think, well, you just stand there and you get your picture taken. No, and there's so much like more involved said, in it. There's just more involved. I mean, you really have to take really good care of yourself. A lot of working out, exercising, dieting. Sleeping properly. Sleeping properly. Practicing posing. Yeah, legitimately. Like standing in a mirror, practicing. Practicing. <laughs> sounds so stupid. It does, but it's it's walking. literally true. I mean, Learning how to walk on a runway, it sounds- Yeah, yeah. you gave me you gave me shit for it. I still hear it to this yeah, day I've, of I've, my walk. I've given you some pointers. Whatever. But so your modeling career sounds a lot different than mine because when I was, now I'm signed to a dig digital board, so I'm not going to castings all the time. And I, I go and I represent myself versus being a hanger as the average model is kind of basically. But I went to a whole bunch of castings and I didn't book very many jobs. So it sounds like your experience was a little bit different. Why do you think that was? Well, for one, I was signed to the curve division, which I was very confused as to why me with a six pack and not curvy was being sent to curvy places. But then it just, I was never, when I would go there, it was, I was never surrounded by women that look athletic. So I kind of always really understood that that's, it doesn't make sense that I'm here. But, and that's something that I kind of really want to change is that when you are looking at these magazines, you're not like on Vogue, you're not seeing somebody muscular. You're not really seeing athletes. I think Serena was on Vogue maybe once or twice, but that's again, once or twice. And there's a magazine every single month coming out from all different countries. So I think that's kind of another factor where athletic women aren't being praised and put on magazine covers. Yeah. And what I didn't like to see was we would take the picture and then the amount of airbrushing and altering of how they would accentuate or make a girl's waist look even smaller than it was. And it was just this unrealistic kind of expectation. And, you know, the pressure for the women was a lot greater because for men, we go to the gym and... It's all about getting the muscles.
muscles and, you know, eating pretty healthy. But for women, I mean, it was basically like starving yourself. Um, yeah. I mean, it, luckily out. the industry changed a little bit, but same yeah, thing it, when I was 14, 15, I was, I wasn't like skinny, skinny. I was, you would understand measurements. I was a 26 waist and 36 hip and they made me go down to 24 and 34. And I made it down to, I think I was 24 waist, but I was 24 and a half hip. But my mom looked at me at one point, I put on like a black jacket in Poland, what like the summer that I was losing weight. And she looked at me, she's like, honestly, she's like, you look like you've just escaped Auschwitz. And she's like, yeah. it's insane. And I went there and they told me, they're like, no, you're still too muscular. The only sport a model can do is yoga. And I remember being there, thank God I'm a smart ass. But I remember like standing there and being like, yoga is not a sport. But I was like, yeah. you know what? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm actually going to pass. And I was like, I'm actually going to go to the Olympics and win a medal. Thank God I did that because yeah. I was a little, I was a little asshole. <laughs> now they have limitations on body index, I, I believe with regards to uh, the runway shows and age limits, which is a really good thing. And the amount of airbrushing that I guess you're allowed to do now is they've got guidelines for that. So it's more realistic. And it's great to see that they're incorporating more just naturally beautiful women in a lot of ads nowadays, because it was yeah, ridiculous. I agree, but it, but it's, you 15, know, it's also 16 year old girls selling $30,000 Versace dresses. And it was like, what 15 or 16 year old girl is actually buying this stuff? None. But at the same time, it's another factor that I never understood. We've steered way off topic, but I actually really like this is when you look at these things and like even Victoria's Secret, right? Like nine, nine times out of 10, like a woman that skinny cannot have perfect breasts like that. It's just really? not possible. Oh my God. Yeah. But you look at them and you're like, oh my God, like that set is amazing. And then you put it on, you're like, I feel like shit. I feel like I'm a 14 year old boy wearing this. This is not how I envisioned this. And like you leave miserable. There's so many times where I would go through that or like even with clothes, same thing. You're like, wow, I love this. And you're trying to like, I look like an idiot. So I don't understand how that's been going on for so long because I want to see it on somebody normal. I want to know what I would look like with the way that I look in that clothes because I don't care what it looks like on a on a woman that looks perfect because that's not what I look like. So what is the point of that whole situation? It's to create the the aesthetic, the brands, the ideal. I, I get it, but but I'm not going to buy it just because of that. Well, a lot of people do. A lot of people who have a lot of money, they're essentially buying into the brand identity. And if I Which buy I don't, this Chanel I mean, I get it. or this Birkin bag, then my status instantly But see, you're saying purses. Purses, I understand. That's also a financial investment because you can still sell that purse down the line. But it's everybody's going to look good with a purse because you're just adding it into your clothes. But again, we're talking about clothes. It's about how you look in the clothes. Great. Amazing. Like that dress looks amazing on this. Okay, now let's say 17-year-old girl who's skinny, whatever. But a 60-year-old woman that has the money is not going to look the same way. So what, what is the point? I think everyone has their own desires to look and feel beautiful. And, you know, if you have the means and you're able to do it and it makes you feel good, then I say go for it. But I think I've seen sometimes where it just, it becomes, people get so wrapped up in, if I don't have this brand of something, then like, I'm not going to be accepted if I don't have this particular brand of clothes or car or whatever. I think that's when it gets a little, uh, you, you start to get into the, the, the area of buying stuff just so that people will like you because of you not maybe necessarily being as secure in who you are as a person. Yeah, I don't know. Teach their own. You guys want to you want to spend your money on, on stuff like that. I yeah. buy fakes so I can have multiple fakes for the price of a real one. Canal Street, baby. Whatever. All right, yeah. let's do red flags. Okay. Let's have a that? little fun element. Let's go. All for right. It. Somebody that thinks that they're not enough for you. Well, it's definitely a red flag. Okay. Why? Because in order for a relationship to work, it requires balance. And I, I feel like I don't want to spend my time trying to 
prop someone's self-image of uh, who they are. I want to be with a woman who's confident. I want to be with a woman who, even though she, uh, I guess I like to be with a woman who recognizes her faults and her insecurities and is okay with sharing those faults and those insecurities because no one's perfect. And I, I admire a woman who is, uh, is um, I, I guess, mature enough to be like, you know what? this is who I am. And if you like me, great. If you don't like me, then you know what, then I know that there's someone out there in the world who's going to like me. Yeah. I, I think it's important that for me, at least that I'm with someone who I get to share my life with rather than me having to try to make them feel better about who they are. Got it. I think it's a red flag just based on experience. Whenever a guy has told me he doesn't deserve me or whatever, it always just flops. I guess it's like something psychological and then you're you're sabotaging the entire time. I don't know. I agree. Somebody, if they don't want pets. So I was one of those people for a while until I got my dog, James. And then I was like, okay, I get it. I mean, I'd always thought dogs and animals were cute, but I guess I never really had an emotional attachment to, to one until actually there was a, a dog that uh, my ex girlfriend and I got named Penny. She had been hit by a car. So she was missing an eye and she was blind in the other one. And she was just the cutest little dog. And she just won our hearts. And we were like, oh my God, we have to take this little dog home. And that's when I started to recognize, I was like, I get it. I get it. I guess I, I was just, I mean, I mean, I had dogs growing up, but I was so, I hated picking up the dog crap in the backyard so much that I was like, okay, if I get a dog, then I have to like follow it around and pick up its crap. But when you really fall in love with the dog, you don't necessarily like, it's like, oh yeah, well, that's just part of yeah. the dog. And when they come and crawl up on you while you're on the couch and watching TV and they just snuggle with you, you're like, okay, picking up the crap is worth it. Yeah, for me, it's definitely a red flag. I could never be with somebody that doesn't want dogs. I mean, I have two. Our third red flag. That's Pongo, we, right? Yes. Our third red flag, if she doesn't have any female friends, red flag or not. Oh yeah, red flag. Why is that? Because... You know, I, I hear this about, well, I don't like to have some girls I've heard say, I don't like, I, I get along better with guys because girls talk about other girls and kind of superficial conversation. But then there's so many other women out there who are like, who do have like substance and, and have a lot of great things to talk about. You know, I, it's hard because I'm the kind of person who I like to be social. I like to go out in groups of friends and I like to, I want to be with a woman who is, who is open and wanting to introduce me to her friend group and introduce me to new things and new people that I wouldn't necessarily be exposed to had I not known my my girlfriend. And I, uh, as much as I may like being with a woman, I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker, but I would say if she was not interested or she didn't have girlfriends, I, you know, I just feel like life can be more interesting and, and uh, more adventurous when there's more oppor opportunity pre to uh, presented to yourself. And if someone is outgoing and, and is willing to uh, make friends and have friends, I think that provides more opportunity for growth and discovery and all that kind of stuff. But what if she has a bunch of guy friends? Still having friends. I'm not yeah, saying this still, is a person that has no friends. Yeah, that's still, I mean, yeah. I don't think that's a red flag. Interesting, because there's men that are are different about it. I know for me, for having female friends, I have them now and I, I've had good ones for a while, but it was I've always had a difficult time because it seems like a lot of women are very insecure and very just talk a lot of shit and focus on gossiping versus like working on themselves. Um, I mean, I don't think I'm perfect at all. And I definitely have insecurities, but I mean, I'm just not in the same lane as everybody. So I don't need to be constantly competing with 
with women. And I don't think women have the same mentality. I've, I've dealt with a lot of jealous females, which sucks. So I've always struggled finding female friends. I definitely have more male friends than I do female friends, but I do, I do still, still have my really close female friends. Yeah. I just kind of feel, I, I feel bad for women who criticize other women, because to me, that means that they're, there's something that's they're not happy about themselves. So however they grew up where they felt like they needed to look a certain way or sound a certain way, and if they don't live up to a certain expectation, then they're not valued or they're not lovable. And, you know, when I see or hear people or, you know, anyone talking bad about someone, criticizing someone, you know, ultimately, I just keep reminding myself that, uh, you know, people who are suffering are usually the ones that are criticizing others because they're just trying to make themselves feel better because they just, uh, they're dealing with something that they don't like about themselves. Yeah, I definitely agree. Same thing with like online trolls, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to me because like I said, I mean, there's things that I'm insecure about. I mean, I grew up where with a mom that was never proud of what I was doing because she always wanted more, but that doesn't mean that again, I'm not fighting with other people. Like it's my demons are with myself. So I don't need to be mean and jealous of other people. I can just work on myself and be a better person. I don't know. Do you ever work with, uh, like, do you ever go to see therapists or listen to people like Tony Robbins or people like that, or like read books like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, just to get some new insight that you may- Yeah, somebody read. somebody actually recommended that book for, to me. So I've, I've read that one. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder who yeah. that was. I, me too. I wonder. I don't know. No idea. And our last question, which I started asking my guests is, I think we've even talked about this. How do you self-sabotage? By focusing on my faults by focusing on all the reasons why it can't work out or wouldn't work out or shouldn't work out by focusing on my past failures. So anyone can sabotage themselves by doing that. And I think a lot of people without even realizing it, most of the time, that is what they, a train of thought that they have running in their their head. And what I've learned as an actor from my acting teachers and life coaches is, is that those negative thoughts are always going to be there. It's just, it's your choice and you have the power to decide whether you want to give them energy and attention, or if you want to focus on the things that are going to move the meter in terms of where you want to go in life and the type of results you want to see in your life. I choose to focus on, on those things that, that empower me, that keep me su like support me and what I, yeah, what I want to accomplish in life. I've already told you mine. I've also talked about it on, on my episodes. You have high expectations for yourself, almost like unrealistically, insanely high expectations. Yeah, but I think that's, we've talked about this though. I think that's good. It, which is, yeah, I think it's, it's good to have expectations and to believe that you belong on that top stage. But I think you are very hard on yourself with regards to tying winning with your self-worth. We agree to disagree. So do you, are you saying that even though you, when you lose, you're saying you still are okay with yourself and you're okay with, uh, you know that just because you've lost a match doesn't mean that you're any less of a person. Initially, no, I definitely think I'm less of a person. I definitely think I'm worthless and blah, blah, blah. But after I process the loss and those feelings, I put it aside. It's kind of like, okay, part of the process, like, did I want to be losing? No, but I did. What did I do wrong? How do I fix it? So initially, yeah, I absolutely beat myself up. Yeah, I get it. It's hard not to when you know what you're capable of and you don't live up to that expectation of yourself i've been there yeah that is for me all right well thank you for being on here would you like to tell our lovely audience where to find you on social media if you have any new projects coming out yes Greg, well i had you. a movie come out this week monica it's called up 100 yes. days to live and it's actually currently number 20 on apple tv and we got 98 score on rotten tomatoes so it's been doing very well it's available for rental on
on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, pretty much all the cable platforms for rental. And I have my own talk show on Monday nights live called Coffee with Colin. And I believe you're going to be a guest on there very soon. I also, I wrote a book last year called Agile Artists, which is all about my experiences working in Hollywood and all the amazing things that I've learned that I've put into practice in my life that have helped me get to where I'm at with regards to you know, working on the biggest stages with some of the top actors in, in the industry and being on this amazing podcast and having people like you come up to me at In-N-Out Burger and totally cost me. But, right. Uh, let me, let me still remind everybody you slid into my DM. So he's a liar. And then what did I not answer you for like six months? <laughs> I was just checking up on you to make sure that after you had fallen and hit your, hit your head, I was just checking on you to make sure you were okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you can check out more. I also do, um, I have some online courses. One of them is called Inspire. It's a six week goal setting course, life strategy course that if you're feeling stuck or if you're wanting to join a community, worldwide community of people from all over the world that, that are doing some pretty amazing, awesome stuff. I love being around people that are up to great things. So if you go to my website, colinagelsfield.com, you can hear more. Got it. I'll all be linked. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for chatting with us and taking over the podcast. We appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Anytime, Monica. Good to see you. You look great. Good to see, good to see you too, Colin. <laughs>